he's doing here, 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 and then here, here, here. Notice what happens. His impact line overlaps Joseph's impact line at this section. What I'm saying is this. If you're Joseph and you're doing what God wants you to do right here, you not only have a life-changing experience yourself, but you cause the Pharaoh to have a life-changing experience for him as well. What you decide to do in following God's will will impact other people. And get this, other people need you to follow God's will. It's not just about you. It's about everybody that's around you as well. You think about where you live in your neighborhood. That's part of your impact line. The house that you've lived in. How long have you lived in it? Four years. Okay. We'll take four years. Those four-year segment, what you do, if it's God's will, will impact you for sure. But your neighbors too and your community, you're responsible to them on that impact line. Figure out what to do because here's another part of following God's will. You have to do this in order for God to be able to complete everything that he's desiring to complete, not just in you, but through you for other people as well. That's the impact line part of it. Um, with Joseph, it, it, it's so interesting because by the time he meets with a pharaoh, and, and you remember, Joseph's brothers have no idea who he is, where he is, all that, and then they come looking for food as well. And he meets with them, and you know he, he kind of struggles and goes back and forth about how to respond to the whole, here's all my brothers uh, situation. But he says something really interesting. Genesis 45-7, Joseph tells his brothers, God sent me before you. God sent me. You didn't sell me into slavery. God actually sent me to preserve for you a remnant in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph is very aware of God's will, and he managed to hit those sections. Does it mean live life perfectly? No, I mean, nobody can do that. But really, give your heart to, to doing God's will, and you'll see that next section of your life really taken off. Next one is this. TPK, because I, I can't write all those words, and one of them, I'm not sure how to spell it. <laughs> TPK basically is this. Trust precedes... Actually, I did spell check. P-R-E-C-E-D-E-S. Trust precedes knowledge. <clears throat> I want to give you a couple examples on this one, just so that we can really see what it is. You remember Abraham? He's kind of... A popular, famous guy. He used to live down here in a city called Ur. That's where he actually started. He moved a little bit later in life up to another area called Haran. Now in Haran, he really began to set up camp and he began to, he was already married. He was called Abram at the time. He was already married. Uh, He got flocks and helpers and all kinds of things and shepherds and everybody else. And so what happened is in this area, Abram really sets up basically his comfort zone. You know what your comfort zone is. It's where you live, where you work. It's what you do every single day that doesn't take you out of your normal routine and it just feels okay. There's nothing weird about it or whatever. He began to get in his comfort zone right here. Well, that was all going really well until God showed up one day and decided to tell him, you need to follow me wherever I'm going to lead, to the place that I'm going to lead you. And so I'm sure Abraham's thinking, you know, I I don't really know where it is that you're asking me to go. Because here's the thing, you want to know what God's going to do with you and through you and where and all this kind of stuff before you decide you're going to accept the assignment. Are you there with me on that? 
Yeah, well, it ain't going to happen that way. Too bad. It just doesn't happen that way. Why? Because if you know all the information first, you trust yourself. If you don't know the information first, you have to trust God every step of the way. That's part of following God's will. And so what happens is, Abram, he decides not to let a lack of knowledge stand in the way of trust. You hear that? He decided, I'm not going to let a lack of knowledge stand in the way of trust. And he takes off and he heads out in this direction, not knowing where he's going to go at all. Now, eventually he will get to Canaan and, and be there. But another one, too, that's very interesting is Abraham with Isaac. You remember the whole story. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have been trying to have kids forever, and you know it's not really working. Abraham tries another experiment with Hagar, and that really wasn't a great idea. Anyway, God comes back along, and he and Sarah have a baby. Abraham and Sarah have a baby, and it's really a good deal. I'm going to want that changed back later. <laughs> Abraham and, and Sarah, they have a baby, and, you know, he grows up to be a little boy, whatever. God shows up, and he says, okay, uh, today's the day I want you to sacrifice your son. You know, what are you talking about? It took me this long to ever get here. All your promises are regarding me having children, all this kind of stuff, and now you want me to kill him. But you know what Abraham does? Abraham does basically what he usually does. He doesn't let an, a lack of knowledge stand in the way of trust. So he and his son walk up the hill. I'm sure the son has all kinds of questions or whatever. And he takes his son. He lovingly lays him on an altar, a big pile of woods, tie, ties him down. I'm sure that's really a comfortable thing. He draws a knife back to kill his son. And goes, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a ram over there in the bushes. I just wanted to test your faith. I wanted to see really your faith. And the thing is this, God, God knew what would happen, the whole thing, but Abraham himself didn't know how he would respond. Abraham needed to see the test of his own faith, as well as the generations that follow, including us, that learn God is a good God. We can trust him no matter what. Now let me tell you this. Let's say that knowledge precedes trust on this whole deal. When uh, God says, okay, Abraham, today's the day I want you to sacrifice your son. But let me tell you this. You're going to walk all the way there. You're going to stick him on the altar, all that wood. You're going to tie him up, and you're going to draw your hand back. But just before you actually kill him, I'm going to tell you that there's a ram over there so that you're really not actually going to kill him. I mean, it blows the whole thing apart, doesn't it? It's like, what's the point in even going through with all of this? Because it's not helpful all the time that knowledge precedes trust. Trust preceding knowledge builds our faith in God. It builds that relationship closer so that he gets to the very end and he does this and God stops him. And I'm sure Abraham falls to his knees and says, You know what? I still have my son, but I'm even closer to God today. How incredible is that in following God's will too? Because when you follow God's will... Sure, ask the questions. It doesn't bother God. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Why am I going to do this? Just don't expect answers to all of them. And when you don't get answers to all of them, keep going anyway. That's what God's will is all about. Just keep moving along. This is your comfort zone. You know what? The, the thing is this, too. You're sitting here, and the answers to your questions... You know where they are? Because Abraham wants to know right here. Well, where are you going to, where, where am I finally going to go? It's Canaan down here, right? Well, he doesn't know that yet, but you know why? Because he's sitting here in his comfort zone. Where is the answer? Not in his comfort zone. It's out here. He can't even know the answer. You've got to step out of that comfort zone to start knowing some of these answers that God's really going to provide to you. As long as you sit around that comfort zone... Well, I mean, it feels good in the air conditioning and all of that, but you know what? You're not really 
always going to go too far and figure out what it is that God wants you to do. The last little piece of the puzzle that I want to put up here. Oh, I'll do it in green. We haven't done green yet. God's love. That doesn't say Louis. Sorry. God's love. Uh, Another piece of the puzzle came into this for me. Uh, You remember a few weeks ago... Uh, Pastor David was preaching, I don't remember, Sunday night, Sunday morning, something. It was the whole uh, talking about God's love. And he brought up the John 3.16 and the first John 3.16. You remember when he said that? You know, here's my temptation. He prefaced the whole message. Now, let me just give this a side note. Uh, he prefaced the whole message about, you know, there are a lot of people, they really have some kind of anger in their heart towards somebody, and they really just have an unresolved relationship. I really don't have that in my life at this point. And you know what I almost did? I almost turned off because what I said was this. I said, no, this is a good message. I'm sure that there are a lot of people in here that do have that. And sometimes the message just isn't for everybody. I almost turned off and God said, hang on. Follow this. There will be something in here for you too. Don't turn off just because the main headline's not for you. Let God speak to you. He talked about how John 3.16 is the experience of God's love, and how 1 John 3.16 is the expression of God's love. And I just could not get away from that. Because the expression of God's love is loving other people, falling in love, being in love, just being in love with people. And so that really made me start looking through Scripture and different ideas and just really thinking about different stories. And you know what I started to discover is that God's will for your life is either indirectly or directly going to be focused on other people. In some ways, it's never just about you. You remember our impact lines. It's never just about you. And so I really began to look at this, and I realized two things are seriously important in knowing God's will. Number one, you've got to be in love with Jesus. If you're not, it ain't going to work. You have to be in love with Jesus. And you know what the thing is? We can be Christians our whole life, and you read your Bible and all that kind of stuff, and you just get kind of tired of it. You know, my wife and I, we a lot of times talk about how easy it would be, instead of being husband and wife, to be roommates in the same house. You know know what I'm saying on that? I mean, and that's just no good, being roommates in the same house. She's my wife. She's not my roommate. But honestly, it can happen spiritually, too. God can be a spiritual roommate instead of the one I am in love with the most. Don't let him just be a spiritual roommate for you. Be in love with him. The second thing, you've got to be in love with people. Because here's the deal. As you're moving along through life, and you're the will, God's will for your particular life is going to be attached to people in some way but you're not in love with people, you're going to miss what it is that he's telling you to do. You're not even going to see it at all. <clears throat> Here's where it all started. What time is it? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. I will ask you to look at this. Acts chapter 3. Here's where this whole journey started. <clears throat> We'll read part of the story. I'm just going to fill in the gaps on a little bit part of the story too. It starts in chapter one. Uh, sorry, chapter three, chapter three, verse one. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. 
And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. <clears throat> he jumped to his feet and began to walk. What I want to look at this is this. This story started me on this and ties all of this up in the same thing too. What I want you to look look at is this. You've got Peter and John. They're standing over here and they're going to go in... Oh, I'm very loud to myself. They're going to go in that direction to the temple at the time of prayer that's going to happen at 3 o'clock. And so what that tells me right there, if they're going to be seriously about going to the temple at the time of prayer or whatever, the first thing I know right there is they're in love with God. What's John 3.16 tell us? Being in love with God, being in love with Jesus. I already know that that is right there. And they're walking along and an interruption pops up. A beggar man who is arriving calls out to them, asking them for money, and Peter and John stopped. Now, the interesting thing is, he's a beggar man. What does he want? He wants money. So Peter and John, do they have money? So why in the world would they even stop? 1 John three sixteen, Because they're in love with people. And the other thing is this too. Peter and John engaged in, the, in this interaction with this beggar man, sensing something's happening here, sensing that moment. Have you ever had that moment where you said... I don't really know what's going on here, but God's doing something. And I can't tell what it is, but this is one of those moments where I better be making the right decisions. Have you had those moments? You've got to pay attention to those moments. I have a friend uh, in Indonesia, an American friend who was also working over there, and he said that um, he was sitting in McDonald's one day, and he was sitting at a table with his wife, and they're just eating or whatever, and he looks over there and he sees a man sitting at another table. And you know what God told him? He said, go over there and talk to that man. My friend said that is the, the most moronic thing I could ever think to do. I don't know who that man is. Nice man over there wearing his squares on his yellow shirt and everything. And it's like, oh, I mean, it's like, I'm not going to go do that. I don't know who he is. I'm in McDonald's in some strange city. You want me to go talk to some man? He didn't do it. And you know what happened? He left that McDonald's and couldn't shake it. Couldn't shake that thought whatsoever. And to this day... He always thinks about the opportunity that was missed because he was sitting there having one of those moments and he didn't run with it. Another friend of mine had a very similar experience. He was in Walmart where everything happens in Walmart. And he says he was walking up and down the aisles and he was on aisle, I don't know, 12, something like that. And he walks by a man who's shopping there and uh, God immediately, Holy Spirit, told my friend, you need to talk to him and tell him about Jesus. Okay. Aisle 12 in Walmart, you just stop and you random man, hey, would you like to know about Jesus? I mean, you just, you don't think about doing that every single day, but the Holy Spirit prompted his heart to do exactly that. And he said, there's no way I can do it. He walks on and walks to aisle 13 and aisle 14, and he says, I can't do it. I just cannot do this. I, I can't fight what it is that God's telling me to do. He walked all the way back to aisle 12. The man was gone. You've got to know something about the moment. The moment is also with timing as well. And the thing is, is you've got to take the moment when it's there because that moment may not swing back around. God needed something to happen with that man right at that time. Who knows what would have happened with him? Take that moment. That's where the impact lines come back into play. Peter and John 
tell the man in Acts uh, 3, verse 6, it says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. I love this verse, and we want to jump by this verse and get on to the good part. But what it says is this, I don't have any money. But you know what Peter and John were aware of? The rest of their resources. Money is one of a gazillion resources that God has invested in you. That's why your homework is this. You, those things I told you were investments that God gave, make a list of what yours are. Because if you don't know what your investments are, you know what you do? You're Peter and John. You're walking by the beggar and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't have money. And you keep walking right on because you're not thinking about everything else you have that you could be given to this man. You've got to know what your resources are and what God has invested in you. <clears throat> uh, one thing I do want to say about this, in economic hard times, this is a pretty good uh, story because a lot of us don't have silver or gold or nickels or dimes or anything else to be throwing around. And, you know, there's a good thing about all of that, too. We always think this economic trouble is just bad, bad, bad. It's not bad, bad, bad. It makes you stop and think twice. What else do I have? What else has God invested in me besides my paycheck? Because there's a whole lot. Think about those things as well. The path of Peter and John and this man crossed for just at these moments. But I want to look at the impact, too. Because he, here's the thing. This event, when he talks to the beggar, it impacts Peter and John. But it obviously also impacts the beggar who's there. He was crippled, and now he's pretty happy to be healed. I mean, he's jumping around. I mean, he's so super happy. And what we're going to see, it's going to have an impact on other people as well. And what we see is this. When you follow God's will, that event will not just be life-changing to you. I think we've got to get out of that mode. It's going to be life-changing to other people who are around us as well. God was looking for a return. And they invested in this man, and he got a good return. And what they offered the beggar was, grab my hand in the name of Jesus. I want you to stand and rise. And he did stand and rise. Now, here's the interesting thing. A further opportunity arises. Peter and John, they're not stupid. They're pretty good boys. And they're also really wanting to follow what it is that God's wanting them to do. And here's the deal. When you're seeking God on those major God's will issues in your life, a lot of times you're thinking, those major issues, who am I going to marry? That's a big deal. Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Issues with your kids, how you're going to raise them. These are huge major issues. But in the whole conversation that I'm having with God about my major issues and following God's will, you know what never comes up in the conversation? Talking to a beggar. It never comes up. Why? It's insignificant. It doesn't seem like a very big deal. But what happens in this story <clears throat> is it's a huge deal. Because what we see is happening is this. Peter and John get into this. They engage in the man. They grab his hand. They tell him to be healed. They, do, they have a bit sense of God's leading them somewhere. But you know what? They don't know where it's going to go. They have no idea. Again, we've got this trust before knowledge thing coming in. But the question is this, i got to ask you. Did Peter and John know how huge this would turn out before they ever started? Did they have a clue? Not a clue. 
When the man was healed, he started jumping around like a monkey with his left foot on fire, and he started to create this huge scene, and all these people started to gather around, and they started to look, and Peter and John knew this moment just got a whole lot bigger. And they started telling all of those people about Jesus. Now, they did get into a little bit of trouble, and some of the people didn't like him. They put him in jail for a day, but they got out everything that they wanted to get out verbally to all those people standing around. And what Acts chapter 4, verse 4 says to us is that many people who heard the word believed, and that number grew to 5,000. Now, let me ask you, what's a big deal when you're praying about God's will? Where you're going to work or the beggar that you're going to talk to? Which one was a bigger deal? Paul's career in tent-making or talking to a beggar. On the surface, career seems huge. Talking to a beggar is nice. It's a nice thing to do. In hindsight, talking to that beggar eclipsed everything else. It was amazing. When you're walking down Walmart on aisle number 12, and God says, you need to speak to that man right now, you can sort of justify in your mind that it's not really that big of a deal, but do you know that? You don't really have a clue how big any of that's going to be. <clears throat> what I'm asking you to do from this, too, I want you to really rethink what you consider to be major issues in God's will. Because here's the trap that I almost fell into. While in the midst of trying to figure out what job I need to have, my focus narrowed down to what job do I need to have. I probably did miss some things that God wanted me to do because I thought they weren't nearly as major as what job do you want me to do. Of course ask God what job to do. But don't narrow the focus so small that you can't see all the beggars standing there asking you for something. Because all those little things that happen along the way could have huge results. Do not discount something that seems small. It could be huge. Second thing is this. Live constantly with expectancy. If you live with expectancy all the time, when that moment arises, you're ready for it. But if you're not living with expectancy all the time, when that moment arises, you might not even see it, and you walk right by it. Third thing, know what God has invested in you. I am not kidding. Go home and make a list of what God has invested in you. If you are serious about giving Him a return for His investment, make this list and know how you can give Him that return. Fourth thing, trust God and follow Him without having to know everything. You don't have to know everything. He knows everything. That's why we trust Him. Fifth thing, realize that other people need you to follow God's will. People's lives are at stake. What happens? What happens if Peter and John are going to the temple and they're like, the beggar's there and he's... The prayer meeting starts at 3 and we're going to be late. I'm not going to stop or I don't have any money so I'm not going to. If Peter and John never stop to talk to the beggar, they never engage him. They never hold his hand. He never gets healed. He doesn't start jumping around so the crowd doesn't start to gather around. The crowd would never have heard the good news and 5,000 people would not have been saved that day. You've got to stop. 
talk to the beggar. You've got to be aware of that moment, and you've got to realize other people need you. Those 5,000 people needed for Peter and John to stop at the beggar. They needed that, and they had no idea. Last thing is this. Fall in love with Jesus. The second part is fall in love with other people. But, you know, that's not really the hard part, because here's the deal. If you really, really fall in love with Jesus, you can't help but be in love with people. But let me say this. If you're going through one of those moments where you're just kind of tired of people, it happens, okay? It just it really happens. You're tired of people. They annoy you. You don't really... You just want to get away from one Okay, take a vacation, but come back. But if you're just kind of sick of being around people, realize it may not be that you just don't love people. We may need to revisit the whole fall in love with Jesus thing. It's okay. I mean, people move around. Just move back into being in love with Jesus, and that'll start happening again. You know, these are my quiet times. I hope it's helped you. God really told me people need to know that God's will is not just about marriage and jobs. It's about talking to beggars. And and just revisit your notes on this and make your list, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you teach us, how you continue to put pieces of the puzzle together so that we can really understand in a fuller way what does it mean to even follow you, to be in love with you, to to know what you want us to do. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would stir in the hearts of everybody sitting right here in this room that would cause every one of us to want to be able to, to, to move towards that John 17, 4. I have given you glory on earth, and I have completed the work that you have given me to do. To do. I pray for those who are struggling right now with the job issue or whatever. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them such peace and comfort and assurance that they won't miss everything else that's going on those other pieces of your will that could be huge. Please remind us, Holy Spirit, as we walk through day by day to live with expectancy of what you're going to do because you can do it, and you can do it through us, and you can show us, and you can give us the strength to do those crazy things that you ask us to do. Just help us with all of that, and I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to add anything to that. That was incredible. I told you you would not be disappointed. Y'all let Darren know how much y'all appreciate him speaking this morning. So, well, let's go ahead and be dismissed. But before we do, I have to say this. This is my mom sitting here this morning. So I cannot let us go without drawing attention to her. And she is the reason why I come to know Jesus so well as a young child. Her and my dad. My dad would be here too, but he's on a business trip. So, uh, so this is my mom, so I want to give her full honor in front of all of y'all. And uh, thank y'all for coming this morning. And uh, y'all let Darren know how much y'all appreciate that. Thank you, Darren.